Hello out there and welcome back to How Good Is That? Friday the 13th, this time we are going to hell. You got Max and you got my fucking little ray of sunshine. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> That's what the woman says when they're going to steal the baby. Oh. Nobody's going to touch that fucking little ray of sunshine. Like, so we have watched Friday the 13th, part nine, Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday. We're going to talk about it because that's how the podcast works. If you're not familiar, go back and listen to the other episodes. God damn it. I've been telling you that this whole time. If you have, thanks so much. Glad you're here. So nine is the one of the franchise that I was the fuzziest on going into this rewatch. I had watched it probably twice ever once when I watched a marathon of these with Paul and once previous I don't want to say when the film came out but when the first when the film was probably available for rent on VHS tape probably not first available but me being brave enough or having gotten to that point in the series to rent it and watch it I was pretty young when I watched this the first time and not totally paying attention I'm sure because I was goofing off with Paul when we were watching it through the second time so this is probably my third watch of the film and it's the one I am the fuzziest on by a long shot. So I was hoping, there were a few of these going back and revisiting that I was really hoping would live up to or exceed my expectation going in. So far, most of the ones I don't remember very well lowered the bar. I am pleased to report, though, that Jason Goes to Hell actually better than I remember it being. Sam, what did you think about Jason Goes to Hell? I liked it. What did you enjoy about it? I liked that it had an actual story to it. Mm Mm-hmm. It wasn't just a bunch of murdering, fornicating teenagers. But still enough of that to get us by. Oh, yes. Still had it. Do you feel like this felt like a Friday the 13th movie? Aspects of it, yes, and aspects of it, no. Yeah, and I think that's why this movie was fairly poorly received when it came out. Now we have to talk about part five again a little bit because that was the previous one with missing Jason. Where this one has Jason but doesn't really have Jason, it's got Jason in the opening piece and it's got Jason in the very end of the third act. Well, he's there. He just doesn't look like himself. He doesn't look like himself. We see him in Reflections kind of like a weird reverse vampire that we can only see him in a reflection as opposed to not seeing him at all in a reflection. So his true self in the reflection. Yes. Yeah. We see his true self. It is a really interesting concept. And I think that's what really saves the movie, in my opinion. It doesn't feel to me like a Friday the 13th completely. I feel like you could go into this movie totally blank on Friday the 13th movies and you would have no problem picking it up. Not like you said, not that there's much going on in in your average Friday the 13th film. Right. This one feels different to me. This has a very of the time early 90s kind of film feel to it. It's got like a Wishmaster vibe. It really has this different quality to it than any of the previous iterations have had. I don't know if that works for it or against it, but it definitely makes it different. I think one of the standout things in this film are the special effects, and we get to shout out KMB effects for doing that. We did watch the unrated version. We did watch the unrated version. Very good. Worth noting there. There was an unrated version and there's a theatrical version. We decided to go for the unrated version. Very poignant when you talk about the special effects because they obviously can show us more of what the effect did in this particular film than the theatrical cut because as we talked about previous, the MPAA loves to poop all over these Friday the 13th films. This one is definitely more fantastic in 
terms of the storyline. It's got this fantastical, mythological almost kind of vibe. It felt like they were like, how can we explain away the fact that Jason just keeps coming back? That was the one thing that's a negative for me is it just kind of created these rules. It did create rules. Like just randomly. Randomly. No, I totally agree with you. Not since six did we see this where Tommy kind of goes and looks up rules of the occult. He reads an occult book in his truck and then he figures out how he's going to beat Jason. Kind of, again, an arbitrary set of rules that he finds. This is just an arbitrary set of rules that one character happens to know. Also, I think it's weird. It took nine times for us to see that Jason has relatives. Yes. Yeah. We see, of course, his mother from the first one. Mm-hmm. Other than her. Right. Exactly. We, have, we finally get the name drop of his father and his father's name is Elias. It goes over that in the very beginning. That was mentioned early on. Tom McLaughlin was interested in that lore for part six, but they never got to go that direction. So pretty cool that we get the little name drop of the Voorhees patriarch in this one. So very exciting. And then, of course, we get the news that he had siblings. So that's pretty, again, pretty interesting. And it gives the movie some something to work towards other than just Jason kind of ceremoniously dispatches a bunch of teenagers teenagers in or around Camp Crystal Lake. I think the rules work here as opposed to part eight, which it tried to live by the real rules of the world and just decided to ignore large chunks of them. Like the fact Camp Crystal Lake was an outlet to the ocean and the fact that Jason can just defy the rules of physics and they completely ignore anything having to do with toxic waste, including the fact that New York just allows it to be flushed through the sewer systems every night at midnight specifically. I think the rules work. I just think it's weird that they... As a series, it's weird that they just came about. Yeah, we decided that this is a supernatural being. We've defined he's supernatural, but now he has to have some kind of set of defined rules in order for him to be beaten. I get it. It gives it a finality. We need something that feels like it's reasonable that he's put down in a air quotes final way. Makes sense to an extent. Doesn't make sense completely. Obviously, there's some silly stuff and him getting pulled down to hell is some really bizarre stuff. That was my other complaint, just the effects in this with the little red shooty lines and... The optical effects, not the not the special makeup effects. Right. It was a little weird. It doesn't fit, right? We see like this... Like the magical... Right. And we've seen this since the early onset of optical effects like Boss Studios in the early 80s, I want to say, because Edlin came out of ILM. So late 70s, early 80s, we see a lot of these opticals. Obviously, opticals before this, we see them think about Star Wars, things like that. The laser shots Mm -hmm. and the lightsabers are all opticals. But horror started to really dig into and play around with opticals in the 80s. We see it in Hellraiser, and it's definitely one of the weak and dated points of Hellraiser. And we see it all over the place. And this movie's no different. We have these like sparks that come out of Jason that represent the life force of or his whatever his being is and there's an arbitrary number of them which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me but maybe fan theory knows a little bit more than me but there are a ton of references that i did catch if that's not one of them in this movie it's it's got a very part six way of winking at you and letting you know that you're in good hands you're in the hands of a trusted horror fan both with the story and the direction was helmed by adam marcus adam marcus kind of coming in and saying hey listen i got you 
I got you on this one. If you're a fan and you didn't notice a lot of stuff, you just heard me go, oh, and right. like mentioning that this is a reference to a popular horror film. I don't think I caught any of them on my own. Yeah, Creighton Duke drops a line about how if he gets paid a bounty, he'll bring Jason back. He'll bring you the mask, the whole damn thing, which is an allusion to Jaws. We'll bring you the tail, the fin, the whole goddamn thing. You got Necronomicon shows up in this film. Obviously, one that you picked up on very quickly was Freddy's glove pops out at the very end of the film and pulls Jason's mask under the under the soil. There's constant references. And depending on how deep your knowledge is of these horror films, the deeper it'll go. Because there's even just little shots or shadows or ways the camera moves that pays homage to another horror film. So you can tell Marcus is a big, big fan. He helps you kind of geek out where it's just like, hey, listen, let's just celebrate all these really cool horror things. So it makes the film a little bit more of an enjoyable experience on the whole. Getting into the movie, the start of the film is, and this blew me away when I was a kid, and it kind of scared me as a kid, and I'll get into why. But there's a woman who is vacationing at Camp Crystal Lake, seemingly vacationing at Camp Crystal Lake by herself, and she's just kind of doing some repairs, and she gets she has to, of course, has to disrobe and get in the shower. And then she's immediately attacked by Jason. I mean, like, pretty immediate. He's just there in the cabin. How do you get there? The Jasoning. Got there from the sewers of Manhattan. The sewers of Manhattan, where, where he was a little boy when we last right. saw him. So now he's a full-grown, very much more disfigured. Just completely ignores it. Yes. Again, yeah, we get a lot of retconning in this franchise, though. It's just like, ah, it didn't quite work for us. Screw it. What has happened to Jason? His head's even bigger. His mask is even more beat up. His like face kind of swells around the edges of the melty. mask. Very amorphous. Oh, Incredible Melting Man. Another good reference in this mm-hmm. film. Thank you for mentioning that. We get the one character when Jason leaves their body, and we'll get into that in a minute. They start to melt. And the first time you see this, it's a very big nod to Rick Baker's Incredible Melting Man, which is a lot of fun. So if you're into this kind of stuff, I think you'll pull a lot more out of this particular film. So definitely watch it and let us know what references we missed. I'm going to try to pick out a couple more if we go as we go through. I may fail. I think I picked out like half a dozen or so quickly while we were watching it this time. And I haven't looked on IMDb or anything to look at all the, the things that are in there. This woman gets chased by Jason. She runs out into the middle of a clearing. He's about to kill her. And all of a sudden, there is an entire SWAT team of specialists there who are ready to dispatch Jason. So they decide to just light him up and then blow him up. This scared me as a child because once I saw that there was like real police, not just like local yokel out in the middle of nowhere, bumble squad like we've gotten, these are like actual SWAT team kind of characters. I was like, oh my God, Jason's real. So as a kid, I was just like, you they know he's real. <laughs> so that kind of freaked me out when I was a kid because it was like, oh my gosh, this is supposed to be a fake character for SWAT team. A real life SWAT team is killing him. So they blow him up and they are doing an autopsy on him. The autopsy being done by the great Richard Gant. He's doing the autopsy on him. He decides in the middle of the autopsy that while he notices Jason's heart's beating and I guess the beating rhythm of the heart possesses him and he decides to devour Jason's heart which you couldn't watch. No, it made me gag. You had a lot of trouble with that particular effect. And it's, it's pretty visceral. I mean, like, he's really tearing into it, and there's, like, blood, and it's like... I'd be curious to put that part on the theatrical version and see what it looks like. Yeah, there's a few parts in here that are like, this is probably where it got cut. Because that, for me, that was bad. Yeah. And like you pointed out, I haven't done that throughout no. the whole thing. No, you had to kind of put the blanket over your face to not watch it, because you're like, doing that kind of thing. Sorry, everybody, badass ASMR on that one. His throat swells up, and he kind of starts to act weird, and then his... 
partner comes back with food for them because you know when you're doing an autopsy like in every fucking movie like this when you're doing an autopsy you love to eat food and he brings back some food and stuff and then he's talking to Jason and kind of like ah, ha, ha, fuck you I can say whatever I want and I don't get hurt lo and behold the man doing the autopsy the coroner is possessed by Jason and he now is Jason and he murders the partner goes out murders Jason himself, Kane Hodder, who's playing a security guard and another security guard. Then that begs the question of, is he still alive? We get introduced to this character whose name is Crichton Duke, and he is like a famous bounty hunter. He kind of throws down the gauntlet to get paid to capture Jason, and this newscaster says he'll pay him if he does it. He's the one that knows the rules. Yes, he is the one that knows these special rules that we find out in a little while. So then we cut to Crystal Lake, where there's a woman who is working at a diner and this bounty hunter shows up to talk to her and he needs her help and she just kind of refuses and she's played by the lovely Aaron Gray. She turns him down. You don't really know what's going on. The police, the local police sheriff seems to be involved with her romantically and they decide to take the bounty hunter into a prison cell, which you don't know at the moment, but he ends up in a prison cell in case I glaze over that as we continue. I think that the movie so far presents a whole lot of what the fuck is going on, but I think that's effective. I don't think you need this constant stream of corporate because even the security guards we don't see die off screen death for the mm-hmm. other coroner that's progressing the plot line it's not just there for gore we get the hitchhikers for the extra just kills we do get the hitchhikers for the extra kills and that introduces as well this character of steven who is our adjacent main protagonist the male protagonist if you want to go in that realm because these tend to have like a male female main character pairing. His character clearly is this guy who's still stuck in a small town. He's still wearing his high school sports jacket. He's clearly older than a high school kid. So he hasn't quite let go of that life yet. Like he was somebody and made some bad choices and he's stuck in a rut. He has a baby. Find out it's Diane's daughter, Jessica, and he's separated from her and he hasn't seen the baby. And there's all this strife and struggle. You can tell Diane and he are still close together. Like they got along. She invites him over to to talk. talk. So on his way he picks up a set of hitchhikers two female one male drops them off at crystal lake even though he kind of gives him guff about it the one female hitchhiker tries to pick him up he passes on that which leads you to go what is what is this guy's deal so he's chivalrous maybe it's trying to show i think that he's burnt out but he's a genuinely reasonable dude like he has priorities and not just a filthy fornicator so kind of builds your interest in that character and he's you know like oh, okay he's smarter than most characters in these franchises but a strange leading man so far to say the least a little on the surface. Like, it's not like we're talking about deep Shakespearean character building here. It's pretty obvious stuff. So the hitchhikers, of course involve themselves in skinny dipping and then no drug use but fornication a little bit of alcohol drinking the one is immediately dispatched while she's peeing i believe mm-hmm. and then she's strung up on a tree and then the other two are dealt with while they're actually engaged in sexual activity for a very long time we watched the unrated cut and i have a feeling this is a scene that would be cut down for both the sex and the violence because as they're having sex, the woman is on top. And in one of the one of the best, if not, you know, top three material kills in this franchise so far, she gets stabbed with one of the uh, metal street signs that you knock and like, you know, hit into the ground. The guy's screaming and yelling as it comes through as she's reaching a climax. And he's screaming and all covered in blood. And then Jason unceremoniously, well, Jason Coroner Man, rips the pipe. Our pike spike through her up from her the middle of her abdomen up through past her shoulder so her shoulder splits mm-hmm. off to one side her neck and shoulder split off to the other side it is very graphic even the dog doesn't like it so after she's dead 
we just assume that the male is dealt with. I don't think we ever see him die, right? It's off-screen no. death. That's what one of the things I kind of like about this movie is it doesn't go over the top constantly. We're not seeing just gore, 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 gore. It, we're not in it anymore for the kills as some of these movies became. I think Friday the 13th Part 3 becomes one of the most guilty of the kill, kill, kill because of the 3D. It, it just feels like we're going from kill to kill. It doesn't feel like we're getting anything interesting in between the kills. So this one doesn't bother with that. This one's here for the story and there's kills in it which I think is really cool. You get some graphic kills, you get some cinematic kills, you get some that are left off screen for your imagination. We have dealt with the hitchhikers to keep the, you know, the body count up in this film. We move on to Jessica, who's come back into town because her mother has been killed by one of the local cops, a cat named Josh. Steven goes there to try to help her as she's being attacked. He manages to stave off Josh, who's possessed Jason now because they've jumped bodies. After he kills the hitchhikers, he jumps body to Josh, who he kills the wife and Josh on their way to bowling, and then mm -hmm. he takes over that body. It's very quick, like very quick, like literally smashes the wife's head in the car, on the car, and then it cuts to him having Josh strapped down in the Voorhees house, and he mouth transfers this weird, what's supposed to be the heart, I think, but has taken on a very phallic, lumpy, tumorous shape. It looks like a tongue. It looks like a tongue, and it looks all lumpy and gross and diseased, and he transfers that to Josh's body after shaving him a little bit. I just telling you what happened. So then then Josh kills Diane in a surprising turn. Steven fights off Josh. The cops come, arrest Steven because he says that Josh did it and Josh is nowhere to be seen, even though clearly somebody got thrown through the window with force. And there's obviously, you know, any detective work at all would show you there's another person in the room besides him, but local Bumbletown cop, like we get in these films, arrests Steven. Now Steven has met, meets up with Duke and kind of gets the ground rules of what's going on. While that's going on, we also get introduced properly to Diane or Diana, whatever her name is, her daughter, Jessica, who's with the reporter who launches the story in the beginning and offers this money to Duke for doing the bounty hunting work. And Jessica and Steven's baby, Stephanie, who he has not met. So she clearly doesn't want to be near him. She says that to Diane right as Josh comes in, that he doesn't. she doesn't want to see him. She doesn't want to deal with him. He can see the baby, but she doesn't want to see him. After all this happens, Jessica's back in town. She leave, immediately leaves her child with a friend who's there cleaning up her house. So I don't know what this friend's deal is. Very good friend, apparently. She goes off to deal with arrangements i'm not 100 i can't remember precisely it which. was nighttime and i was like why doesn't she have her kid it's nighttime it's really a strange little bit that happens there but suffice to say we get the rules about the Voorhees stuff from Crichton duke while steven's in this holding cell and you find out that jason is trying to be reborn improper right now he's just he's using like temporary bodies and jumping from one to the other because his presence wears down a body too fast he's trying to get to a proper Voorhees vessel so he can be born once again, properly. Reverse to that is for Jason to actually be killed for real, for real. He has to be murdered by, or killed, I guess murdered, but I don't think you're going to accidentally kill him. He has to be murdered by one of his relatives, of which there was Diana and now Diana's daughter and granddaughter. And obviously the baby ain't going to kill him. Spoiler alert. As you can see, as I'm explaining this movie, I feel like I'm like, huh, huh. it's way different. 
Mm-hmm. Then, like, look at all the details and exposition and story points I have to go into to kind of cover this movie. It's not just, oh, and then so-and-so dies, and they walk over here, and then so-and-so's already dead, and then they scream, and they run away, and then they die. So it's it's much more intricate. Again, I'm not saying this is, like, phenomenal writing or anything, and this is going to win any kind of awards. It's not. It's not a, overall, not a wonderfully terrific film. But for this franchise, I think really steps up and actually puts together a story that has stakes and has rules. There are reasons we're following the character. So it actually kind of makes sense. This all leads up to multiple people die. Jason body jumps a few times. The crux of the whole thing is we have to set up to where Jessica's in the house with Stephanie and Steven and Duke, and they all have to kind of battle this final battle with Jason, who they managed to get out of the body of Jessica's boyfriend and news anchor, Stephen Robert, excuse me. Robert is the the bad guy because he also, you find out he's doing some underhanded stuff to try to get ratings while they're out there. They're going to do like a little inter- or expose on the Voorhees house and he's went and stolen Diane's body from the morgue and put it in the house because he wants to have like a surprise ratings jump and crazy gritty doc piece to put on his show. So he gets dealt with. We have this weird baby serpent that is also the heart come out of Robert and scurry about, manages to get downstairs and crawl into Diana's vagina. (laughs) And that reborns proper Jason because it is in fact a Voorhees bloodline, even though it's not a living Voorhees bloodline. So proper, actual, real-looking, hockey mask-clad Jason comes back. Apparently, just it crawling into anybody automatically makes it take the right form. Hockey mask and all. We don't see Jason's face in this one. Again, his face is all, like, amorphous and hydrocephalic, and it's growing and swelling over the mask. So you see most of it. Anyway, you don't really need to see more. There's a battle. This is one of my biggest gripes with the film, is the fight at the end with him and Steven is uh, really crappy. It is. I was thinking that, because normally Jason would just put his hand through the heart. Right. And dead. We've already set up. He keeps throwing them. And not necessarily in this film. They have shied away from Jason having like the inhuman strength. So it's kind of following its own rules. But in comparison to what you would expect, there's not like, it's not like Robert really gets hurt. Like you said, it's a lot of bludgeoning things. Even when Jason gets a uh, a wooden like pole, breaks off an iron rake that Robert stabs him with. And he has this wooden pole in him. Instead of trying to stab Ra- or Steven with it, he's trying to like just hit him with it. Right. And the weird thing about it, like how you said they kind of didn't make him superhuman strength in this one, but he was taking on the form of other people so once he had his own form it kind of was a little weird it was and it just was anticlimactic like the shooting of it was not super cinematic it just was kind of blase and master shot with them fighting it was really weird and i also will call out the fight he has earlier in the movie steven and randy have a fight with each other that kind of turns into this weird like real brawl out in the road next to a cop car that i think is a shout out to they live because there is also a thing reference in the basement when we see uh the thing crawl into Diana's vagina. There's a box for an Arctic expedition, which is a thing reference. So there are a lot of John Carpenter references in this film as well. So I said I'd get a couple more. I got them. We are just, we deal with the, I pat myself on the back. We deal with this kind of boring final battle where Jason's so wrapped up in this fight with Steven that he doesn't see Diane, or not Diane, but Jessica kind of go, hoop a doop a doop a doo and come up behind him and just blast him with this dagger, this special dagger that when she touches it, it turns into a special dagger. So weird. So weird. But she manages to deal with Jason and then she sidekicks the knife into his chest. He kind of 
de-sparks and drops down and all these weird like monster hands come up out of the dirt and pull him under the dirt. They walk off into the sunset, they being Jessica and Steven. Got both of those names right that time. Then it cuts back to the hockey mask. We see it in the dirt. There's a camera push in. The dog comes over, smells it. Dog from the beginning. There's a little dog in the beginning. Still no dogs hurt in this one. Sniffs it, kind of picks it up, like digs it out a little bit and then runs away. And then we see the reference you caught at the very end, which is Freddy's gloved hand come up out of the dirt and pull the mask under. And that's our final shot for Jason goes to hell. Because apparently Freddy's in hell. Freddy goes to hell, the final nightmare. That's not, it's Freddy's dead, the final nightmare. It'd be pretty funny if they both, they're just all going to hell. <laughs> Every franchise, send them to hell. So that is the end of the technically Friday the 13th's because this is the final Friday, but we still have more films to go. We have Jason X, then we have Freddy versus Jason, and then we have Friday the 13th, which is the remake film. You know the conceit of X, right? Like, you know where, like, the setting of the film or what makes it unique. Do you not? You haven't heard me say it, like, 400 times? Do you want me to tell you what it is? Sure. So you get your reaction on the podcast. Jason X is Jason in space. Oh, yeah, you know what? I have heard you say okay. that. Okay, yes, that is Jason in space. So we get Space Jason. You've seen the mask on the piece of art that we got do you have any idea what the film's going to entail in this one like what's going to happen anything any guesses for anything in space will somebody get thrown out will they deal with jason by throwing him out of the ship any any predictions on why in the hell they would bother to make this franchise go to space maybe they're doing some kind of scientific stuff on him okay and i feel like you always see in space they're doing like scientific experiments experiments on things and people so maybe they're somehow took maybe they took his mask up into space or something i don't know i no, no clue with this franchise no you can't guess because it just goes all over the place what did you think overall you you've been hitting on and hitting on some of the things that you've liked and disliked throughout is there anything that you have we've glazed over or anything that you want to talk about in particular no i don't think so i think i hit everything there's definitely some strong reasons that i liked it the storyline the the effects were as good as they were in the beginning shout out to kmb effects <laughs> but there was a couple things i didn't like but i would say it's probably one of my top ones yeah i was pleasantly surprised with this one like i told you i've been waiting like i've been hoping there are certain ones where it's like man i really hope that this is better than i remember it being i really do none of those films have come close even five i was just like can this just like can i just not hate it wrong <laughs> can't hate it but this one surprised me i was really really happy that there was a story as out there as it is, and as little Jason as there is, they managed to make a cohesive story with characters that I kind I mean, again, these aren't characters that are hard or deep. We're not here for Dr. Shivago. We're here for Friday the 13th. So I would say that this one really impressed me. The characters that I kind of care about in a setup that I kind of, that kind of makes sense and lives, sets up and lives by its own rules. Again, an anticlimactic fight, just kind of falling victim to having to be a Friday the 13th film. It's a little all over the place. But for the most part, I enjoyed it way more than I thought I would and way way more than I remember enjoying it. So I was pleasantly surprised with this particular installment. So what do you think you would give it? I think my rating would be a 5.5. 5.5. So it's a little higher than 7, which is a little higher than 8. So this is coming in towards the top of the numbers here. 
Mm-hmm. Not doesn't sound quite as high as a four or a six for you, but it's still pretty high. Yeah, I'll have to kind of look over my numbers again. Right, but and that's the tough part is sometimes you're gonna have multiple that are at the same they rating. Might switch or yeah, it's it's interesting to see how this all unfolds as you do it. I would probably come up a little bit from that, and I'd probably give it like a six, six and a half. It was surprisingly good. Yeah, I was between a five and a half and a six. It's a good one. So definitely out there, let us know your rankings. Again, the last episode of the podcast, we were for the season. We rank the entire series from worst to best, in our opinion, and we take the audience's votes and we factor it into one big poll. So your vote counts. Maybe you're the only person who submits one. You're not going to be because there's already more than one, but you might be 25% of that poll. So definitely get your votes in and we'll shout out. I'll shout. Definitely will not be afraid to shout out a couple lists that I'm like, what in the world? How is this possible? If you submit a list, I may demand you explain yourself and hopefully you enjoy talking about films. Obviously, why else are you listening to this podcast? Maybe you have to. Who would force you to do that? What an awful punishment. I'm forcing Sam to watch these. That's kind of an awful punishment. A very fun movie to watch. I'm glad to see that the final final Friday was an enjoyable one. And now we still have three more Jasonses with Jason X, Freddy versus Jason, and then the last one, Friday the 13th, the remake. Join us next week when we go to space with Jason. We'll see you then.